Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. And it is Denver Sports Tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's James Merrillat. I'm Will Peterson. Roll with you for the next hour here on 104.3 The Fan. James, are you glad to hear that Joel Embiid has survived one of the worst calf injuries we've ever seen and is playing against the Dallas Mavericks tonight? Boy, dodged a bullet there with that one. Uh, You know, I think we were all on pins and needles waiting for the MRI or whatever test they had to do to make sure that the calf was strong and was ready to go. Uh, and, yeah, so he'll be able to uh, only miss the one game. That, uh, that worked out great for the Sixers. Look, he was in a no-win situation, right? One, because clearly he was ducking Nikola Jokic, which I've never argued. I've never argued that point. And he was, and he was using as a load management night of, hey, three games and four nights. Let's just skip that one because I got nothing to gain and everything to lose. When it backfired on him, well, then he was in a pickle, Will, because – he could have missed tonight and kind of tried to make it look like a legit injury. But then you get to the point where it's like, this dude misses too many games. He can't be MVP. So he was kind of stuck. He's going to have to play tonight and just kind of take the uh, the bad look of it. But, yeah, it clearly points to the fact of this was not an injury. This was load management, and he picked the game to take the night off when he could avoid Nikola Jokic. There's no other way to look at it. Yeah, and it backfired and blew up in his face because – Within five minutes. I mean, literally those shows that were on ESPN Live reacting to the news. You even had Kendrick Perkins, who's become a villain in Denver, saying Embiid is dodging the Joker. And so whatever they decided, they may get you know good PR out of it because, well, the one time they played, Embiid got the win. No good PR whatsoever, uh, as James Harden plays tonight, too, which, remember, all the reports that day were, oh, yeah, Harden's coming back, and then he just decided to dodge it as well. The Sixers were ending a long road trip. They had no interest in playing that night, and, uh, you know, we only saw a video or two of those guys in Ballerina, but, you know, maybe they pulled a John Morant by the second half. I don't know. Well, and it's funny, and look, media members are people, too, right? So... When did everybody officially turn on Nathaniel Hackett? Now, it, it was the Christmas Day game, and obviously the score was the main reason why, 51-14. to 14. But that was also the game that was right when all the Southwest Airlines problems were happening. It's media people from Denver giving up their Christmas Eve to, and Christmas Day to go out to L.A. to cover that team. A lot of them had to drive from L.A. to Vegas to try and catch a flight home. They didn't have luggage. They didn't have bags. And it's like... Man, we're jumping through all these hoops, and it's their job. I get it, but that would stink, and you guys can't even show up and give a decent effort, and the the tone changed, and boom, the guy got fired uh, shortly thereafter. ESPN sent three reporters to Denver for this game, three reporters for that game. It was a big game, and it all it all turned out for not because uh, Joel Embiid decided to tap out. That's when it's going to turn on him too. I don't know. I don't think he recovers from this. Will unless he averages forty points a game down the stretch, and the Nuggets fall apart. I think Jokic is winning his third straight MVP. Yeah, I do too. I think he sealed his own fate on a day that an article in the Athletic came out, um, lengthy article with Joel doing what he does, complaining and whining and moaning about. I just don't get it. I just don't get it, man. And then literally hours later. You prove you don't get it because you dodge the Joker and sit out. Uh, speaking of the Joker, James, have you seen 
the video that's taking over the internet. Uh, they had a, a party last night with the Avs and the Nuggets and some other folks that work over there. And there's this video of Jokic and Landeskog talking, and it's it's wholesome and pure. And then Jokic goes to walk away, and Landeskog points someone out, and he's pointing out Nathan McKinnon to Nikola Jokic, and the two give a little bro hug and start talking. Uh, it's kind of a fun, cute video, but it also reminds you, James, how big basketball players are because Nathan McKinnon looks like a child next to Nikola yeah. Jokic. It's hilarious. Yeah, that that that's the thing that jumped out at me too, and we all went down to the parade, right? And Obviously, there's the, the famous video of Bo Byram getting stopped by the cop who thinks he's just a fan. And in part, it's because he's 20 years old or whatever, and he looks like a fan. But it's also because hockey players are just normal size. Right. Right? They're all like six foot 195. Like, they, you know, they're not, they're not imposing for the most part unless you get to, uh, you know, a McDermott or somebody like that. And, uh, yeah, when you see him standing next to a guy that's 6'11", Man, if you ever have the chance and, and get to go to a, an NBA game or even a, a, a big time college basketball game, a Division One basketball college basketball game, and you can sit anywhere near where you can get the the sense of the the size and the power and the speed of a basketball game, yeah, it's incredible. It is. It is just incredible. Um, but yeah, he was. Uh, it was a cool moment. That's always a really good good event. The Mile High Dreams Gala. KSE does a great job with it. KSE Charities raises a lot of money for a lot of cool things that they do uh, around the city. The Nuggets are there. The Avs are there. The Mammoth are there. The Rapids are there. I I, I bag on KSE when I think it's deserved, and there are plenty of times when it is. Uh, that is an event that they do that is top notch. If you're uh, if you're ever inclined, and now you got to wait 364 days, roughly, that is uh, that is well worth the price of admission. Yeah, and it just you know the star power in that video, right? Oh my like gosh. that's the that's the most famous. Well, I don't know if famous is the right word. That's the best basketball player on earth, and perhaps the best hockey player on earth embracing at an event because they both work for the same company. That's kind of wild when you think about it. You, you know? know what? That, that's a good point. And it's it sort of speaks to the embarrassment of riches we have at the moment in this town. And look, is Nicole Jokic the best basketball player in the world? I don't know, but he's in the top five. Probably the top three, maybe the top two, right? It's, yes. it's You could make the argument that, about for Giannis. You could make the argument for Steph, whatever. But he's in the top five. I mean, the awards would say he's the best right now Correct. at this moment. Three, three straight MVPs hasn't been done in 40 years. I, I'm pretty confident saying he's the best basketball player in the world. Fine. And if you were starting a team today and you could pick anybody, he's going in the top five. He is. He probably is going. He may very well go one. Nathan McKinnon, you know, say what you want about Connor McDavid and – uh, Austin Matthews or whoever the whoever the other stars you may want to enter into this conversation are, um, he's in that conversation for top five player too. I mean, he's finished in the top three for uh, MVP what three times? Yeah, something like that. He's so, never won a hard trophy, but he's always been right there. Yeah, so, yeah. So in this town, in leagues that each have thirty teams, we have arguably the best player in each sport in this town right now in their prime. It's not like they're, they're guys that, hey, you know what, they're chasing a cup, so they wound up in Colorado or they wound up in Denver and, uh, to, to chase an NBA title. Like In their prime, with multiple good years to follow, it is an, an embarrassment of riches. Um, you know, we, we sometimes get caught up in, oh, woe is us for how bad the Broncos have been. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, tomorrow. Oh, woe is us how bad the Rockies are fixing to be. But those other two teams in the big four, you got it as good as it's 
ever been in this city. Yeah, we've retweeted it from Denver Sports. It's on my personal Twitter, at Peterson Will as well. It's kind of cool because it's that moment of like, yeah, that's potentially the best two players of their sports on this planet just saying what up to each other at a company event right down just the street from us. in their suits. Yeah, just chilling. And, and again, you can see Jokic tower over McKinnon. It's fun. Speaking of Jokic, James, he is questionable tomorrow night against the Pelicans with a calf injury. So two things here. First of all. A calf? Yes. Is wow. This, is this elite, it's an epidemic. Is this elite level trolling by the Nuggets? Because it certainly could be. And yeah. then the more serious question, and this is the one I posed to DMAC at the end of the drive, you and I have thought, okay, he'll play against New Orleans and then sit out against Phoenix. Is this the Nuggets potentially, and I'm, I'm not saying this is a certain, potentially laying the groundwork that, no, they're going to hold him out against New Orleans and then go all in against Phoenix on Friday night? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're laying the groundwork. I think it's a, hey, he's had this calf injury. He, he played through it in the home game against New Orleans. But, boy, just traveling down to Phoenix, it's tightening up on him. He's going to sit that one out. That, that's what I think it is. I think it's a, you know, it didn't just pop up out of nowhere and suddenly he's hurt the day of the game on uh, on Friday that he's just not going to be good to go. Um, after playing through it against the Pelicans, he's not good to go on a back-to-back. That would be the smart play to me, right? Because I, I think you look at it and say, all right, well, if, he, if he's going to miss a game – I, you probably can beat New Orleans at home without him, probably. But you could drop that game. And then you certainly could lose in Phoenix even with him. Absolutely. So that's a potential for he played in one game and you went 0-2. If he plays at home, you're going to beat the Pelicans more than likely. And then you just call the, the game in Phoenix a, a coin toss. Maybe MPJ gets hot. Maybe Murray gets hot. Maybe Aaron Gordon has a kind of a breakout game, starts hitting his jump shot to go with his inside game, and you're able to steal one. But that is the smarter play Uh, if you're just going for, hey, we just need a split. And right now when you're just kind of counting down magic numbers, the the Nuggets just need to split in in these two. Get the easy one at home. Give Jokic the night off. Yeah, I'm with you. If I had to predict or if I had to do an order myself, I would – I would say play against New Orleans. Don't even get on the plane to Phoenix. You and I talked about that last night. Don't give the Suns a look at what they're going to see in the second-round collision that feels inevitable. But I'm just saying, based on this injury report, again, you're trolling Embiid, which I think is funny. But also, it just worries me that they may take the New Orleans game as a night off and go all in against the Suns. And like you said, that's a recipe to potentially go 0-2. That would be foolish. Yeah, I I wouldn't like that strategy. That would feel backwards to me. No, you can have all hands on deck and lose to Phoenix, and there'd be no shame in that. Like that's a good team; they're at home. Durant will be back. It will be back by that. I think he's coming back tonight, right? Um, so he'll be on the court. Like that's a that's a very losable game. You you, you mess around tomorrow night. Yeah, you go zero and two in those. Hey, my preference, and I'm going to stay consistent, would be everybody plays in both games. It's a back to back. It's not. You know, we're not swimming the English Channel and taking a five-minute break, and then swimming back to France. I mean, come on. You're getting on a private jet. You're staying at the Ritz-Carlton. You don't play till that night. Like I think people just so overstate I, I know. The, the grind of it. It's I, ridiculous. I, I know, James. But I, if you made me bet, there's not there's not a very high percentage chance Nikola Jokic plays in both games. I, I would have to think we see him in one of the two would be my – my overwhelming gut on how the okay. next 72 coffee hours break. goes for or the coffee Nuggets. Bet. Coffee break. <laughs> coffee break. Live every day, 1030, Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, Denver Sports, Rachel uh, V. Hill. Uh, Good promotion. Coffee bet, I will, or whatever you, you want, because it's, you know, it's a 6 o'clock show. It might be a little late for me to bring you a coffee on, uh, on Monday. You want to do um, a vodka bet? 
Sure. <laughs> <laughs> blue cheese olives. We'll bet blue cheese olives. There you go. There you go. I am betting that he plays in both. All right. I, I will shake your hand on that. I, okay. I think he's only playing in one of the next two. Uh, well, I, I said 72 hours. We'll actually have an answer in about 48 hours or maybe 49, 50 hours with that Suns game being a late start. Uh, James on the text line, a lot of feedback to talking about how fast the game of basketball is when you are close to the floor. You mentioned that. Derek's sitting courtside tomorrow night, missing our uh, big movie. We talked about this at the end of the drive to go sit courtside. You you and I had the privilege of sitting courtside before. Quick story on that, and then then I want to get your thoughts on some of this Thursday night football stuff. But when I was in college, the Missouri Tigers were the two seed in the NCAA tournament, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a... That's a national championship contender, right? Yeah, for sure. Now, we can leave out the fact they lost to Norfolk State in the first round, 15 seed, whatever. <laughs> that that little detail. But I got the privilege because um, I covered those guys and I became friends with them because we all got to know each other freshman year. And that team was mostly seniors. That's kind of why they were so good because it wasn't really NBA talent, but it was guys who were there all four years. And they were playing pickup ball at the rec. I don't know why they went to the rec center and not Mizzou Arena, but they did. And they asked me if I wanted to come play with them. And James, this is not NBA. This is a two-seed in March Madness. I played played varsity basketball in high school. My head was spinning so fast trying to keep up with those guys. I didn't even know where the basketball was half the time on the floor. Yeah. It is unbelievable the leap from, granted, not big-time high school, but just high school basketball to big-time college to the NBA James, this was the most ridiculous experience of playing hoops with these guys, how quickly they moved the ball, how fast they got up and down the floor, how fast they passed it. And honestly, I just was like, I don't belong here, and it's not even close. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those where you don't even try to convince yourself, well, I could do this, I could do that. Like It's just like, nope, don't belong. And like when people say, I think I could go onto an NBA floor and and make a couple buckets. No, you couldn't. You'd have no shot. Zero chance of scoring in an NBA game. Even if you were just trying to fire them up from half court every time, you wouldn't get a shot off. If they actually tried to guard you, you would not get a shot off. Absolutely zero chance. So I just wanted to share that quickly to sort of echo some of the textures of, yeah, on TV it looks one thing when you're courtside or when you know, oh. you're actually playing. And I was just scrimmaging with these guys. Uh, it is it is an absolutely ridiculous speed. My college experience in that regard was uh, going to the rec center for intramural games. And it's uh, Michael Westbrook and company. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool, uh, except for it was just one dunk after another against us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, those guys could flat, I mean, talk about just great athletes and translating from the football field to the basketball court. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, my goodness, our head was just spinning. By the way, real quick on that, there was a kid on that Mizzou team named Miguel Paul, P-A-U-L, Paul. Okay. And part of the reason he got recruited was because he was Chris Paul's cousin, right? Like, okay, there's, there's, you know, there's some talent there. Well, it comes out after like a year or two of him on the team, James, and not doing jack squat. He's not actually Chris Paul's cousin, and the whole story is made up. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, he got a D1 scholarship out of convincing people he was Chris Paul's cousin, and then he transferred to some no-name school and is never to be heard from again. Good for him. If somebody is dumb enough to fall for that, that's on them. And, and I always kind of like these. That's not a completely harmless scam, but it kind of is, right? I always like those. Like there's a, and you can't get away with it anymore. And it's one of the shames of you know kind of how society has changed. But you've probably seen the stories about the guy who used to dress up and he'd wear like 
NBA warm-ups, and he'd go out there and he'd start doing layup line with the players. And he'd dress up like a ref, and he'd get into the Super Bowl and be on the field for like four or five minutes before anybody would figure it out. And it's the same guy, and he did it like a dozen times at various events. He's out fielding and shagging fly balls at the All-Star game. He's wearing like a Brewers uniform. Like, if you can pull off that ruse and you have the you-know-whats to do it and kind of blend in, I tip my cap. Good for you. Dawson Gurley, is that ringing a bell? Uh, that sounds about right. There's a great, it's like a 10, 12 minute kind of, well, you know what? It might be a 30 for 30 on it. Oh, really? Yeah. K- KJ deserves happen. the Dawson Gurley credit. I did not know that one, but it's, yeah. It's, it's awesome. It, I think it is a 30 for 30 or one of those types of shows. And it's just like, man, it is so seventies and eighties and it's so, you know, security was pretty lax. And if you were a good talker, you could get your way into anything. Uh, and then it's just a sign of like. He looked the part. He was dressed up, and if you act like you belong, most people aren't gonna aren't gonna question you. Yeah, people thought Miguel Paul was Chris Paul's cousin. That's so. awesome. Yeah, pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so the the kind of buzz in the NFL today now that owners meetings have wrapped up is this Thursday night football thing that they're gonna allow teams to play two games. Of course, you know some teams may play zero now um, because if you're having teams play two, you simply can't fit everyone on the schedule. And you have a, a take on this that is the opposite of most, so I want to give you a chance to explain the general reaction. We touched on this a bit last night was this is ridiculous. Um, player safety is just a farce by the NFL, and there's there's no reason that they team should have not only one week but two short weeks. Um, but you say that's not the case, and you even have data to prove it. Well, yeah, and, and that's the part of it that, that always bugs me. And I, I think this is, you know, boy, talk about sounding like old guy. But I do think it's sort of a, a a trait of the modern media is they all just take something and just start repeating it, and it all of a sudden becomes fact. And that notion that playing on a Thursday night is unsafe for the players, you know, you, you saw all the big guys today, pro football talk and the like, just going off about it and how the NFLPA doesn't care about the players and the league doesn't care about players, and it's all about money and blah, blah, blah. And we talked about it last night, like – yeah, it is all about money, but that pie gets split essentially 50-50. The, the players get half of it, so the bigger the pie, the bigger their half. I mean, it, you don't have to be a math whiz, so they should be in favor of anything that can grow that pie within reason, but it's also just this, like, let's just keep saying it's dangerous to play on Thursday night. Does anybody have that says that? Do they have any data to prove it? And there was a study done from 2012 through 2017 so that's what, one, two, three, four, five NFL seasons that actually the injury rate on Thursday night football was 3% lower than it is on Sunday and Monday night. Hmm. 3% lower. Interesting. Over that's, five seasons. Well, I think you sold yourself one short. I think it's six seasons, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, six seasons. Okay, six seasons. So e- either way, it's a huge sample size, right? Like that's a that, and it's you know people are saying, well, has there been anything done more recently? Like, well, what's changed? Like, if it, if it was valid, that's within the last decade. The sport isn't distinctly different than it was then. They're not playing more Thursday night games. There's the the, the time between Sunday and Thursday hasn't changed in the last six years. It, it's still the same recovery period. So the data actually shows that it's it, it's it's certainly not more dangerous. It's essentially a wash, but statistically speaking. It's actually slightly safer, which there's no logical explanation for that, none. But the point of it is, it's not more dangerous. So let's just stop being irresponsible and rip the NFLPA and rip the NFL and rip Roger Goodell and talk about how they're just all about money and they don't care about these guys and they're just pieces of meat. 
that's just not true in this instance, in this yeah, example. Hold on, though. i got to give you a little bit of a pushback. What about the mental side of this, right? Because we've heard former players talk about how Planning an NFL game is putting yourself through a car crash. And on Monday, you can't walk. And on Tuesday, all you can do is ice. And on Wednesday, the only thing you can do is maybe stand up and stretch. Like, at some point, isn't it unfair to these guys to say, hey, you just went in that car crash on Sunday, but now you have to do it again on Thursday as opposed to having those extra three days. I think that's a factor in this as well. I, I think the data is interesting, and I appreciate you sharing that. But I think there's a there's a... a of feeling by these players that they are being taken advantage of already and to ask them to do it twice. There's guys who just go out there on Thursday night with their heart not in it because their body still hurt from 96 hours before on the previous Sunday. Well, they have a feeling. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess we should make decisions based on someone's feeling as opposed to five years of data. Like, they have a feeling that they're being taken advantage of. Listen, man, you, did, did your did your game check hit the, hit the bank on Tuesday? Like, it's Crimea River. And here's the other part of it. It's unfair if you're playing on a Thursday night and the team you're playing doesn't have the same recovery period. But if it's all equal, so what's what's the magic What's the magic number? A, a week is – you're perfect at a week. You're totally fine mentally to play. Or if you play on a Sunday and then you have that first, uh, first playoff game on a Saturday – Nobody ever gripes and complains about that. So apparently six days is magic. Or if you play on Monday night and have to play on the following Sunday, that six days is fun. I, I just, I find it of like, we're just trying to find something to complain about. We don't know that four days versus six days mentally is any different. We don't. I'm not saying it isn't, but we don't have any data that says it is. But we do have empirical data that shows it's not more dangerous from an injury standpoint to play on Thursdays. And the opponent that you're playing against is in the exact same boat, physically, mentally, preparation time, all the rest of it. I, I just I just think it's one of these things that, man, everybody wants to bang that drum and yell at the NFL and say how cold and callous they are. And once again, they're just doing it based on feelings. It's the same as, like, how can they possibly go on with free agency during an, a pandemic? Like, what do you want them to do? Just sit in their basement and not do anything and just twiddle their thumbs? Like, Listen, I'm all for throwing stones when stones are are, are deserved, but I, I think this is one where people are just off base. And listen, if somebody's got uh, data to argue against this or more recent things, I'll listen to it. But from what, what I was able to find, which I think is what you're supposed to do responsibly, is like ask the question as a media member is like, well, is it? Is it? Is it really more unsafe? And a five-second Google search can find you a, a, a study that tells you it's not. Yeah, like, but, but James... It's so irresponsible. We, no, but hold on. We watch these games, and the quality of play sucks, right? Really? So, okay, so there's no, another hold, one. Hold on, just, hold on. another one where we say that. Can I go, Cecil? Let me finish real quick. The, sure. The quality of the play stinks, and you know why it stinks? Because guys aren't mentally in it because they just played three, four days ago. So that's proving my point. Why do we think the quality is so bad? Because they're not ready to be back out there on such a short turnaround. Okay, so week two last year, it was 27-24 Chiefs over the Chargers. That's a pretty good game. That was week two. I mean, okay. those, you're running on adrenaline at that point, James. If week we seven, if, 42 Car Cardinals, 42 Saints, 34. And the Broncos-Colts was 12-9. The, the, okay, there's just as many good games as bad no, games. You want me to pull up a Sunday? And, and you tell me, every, every game on Sunday is just a master, it's a master class of football. 
Uh, man, there this was is perfection. James, what was like? It was like Bears Commanders or something the week after Broncos Colts. There was a stretch last year of like five in a row that were some of the most pitiful games we've ever witnessed. Okay, you're right, but is that that's a byproduct of the fact, Will, that they have they force you to put every team on Thursday night football like it's the MLB All Star Game and everybody gets a participation ribbon. Ribbon. You know why Commanders Bears sucked? Because the Commanders and Bears suck. Yeah, but that apparently just played just, on Monday night on a neutral field that. George Toma made the perfect grass, and that game would have been a 12-7 dog no matter what. Well, everything I've been told is that Justin Fields is electric, and the Commanders were almost a, a, a playoff team. Yeah, so so. you tell me that game, if they put that game on Sunday Night Football, it's a doozy. I mean, I thought the Broncos were I mean, supposed to take on. Justin Fields, so but I guess he does again, suck. That's another one where it's just, let's just say it. Let's just say that Thursday Night Football is a bad product. It's a bad product because they're forced to put bad teams on it. And to try and make it competitive, rather than have it be Bears-Niners, so you at least get one good team, right? And if that game has all the chance to be 49-3, to they're like, well, if we put Bears-Commanders, it's probably going to be bad versus bad, so it at least will be competitive. That's why the product sucks, and they're eliminating that problem. That's why the flex makes sense. You shouldn't get a national TV game. You know what, how many national TV games the Broncos should get this year? Goose egg. Zero. They should get none. They've earned none. In fact, if they could have a negative number of games, they should have negative. It has nothing to do with the fact that it, they're playing on a short turnaround. It's just such a, it's just such a. Let's just say something because it sounds good, and it sounds right, and we sound sympathetic. And there's no empirical data to back it up. All right, coming up next, it seems like everyone wants to talk about a new stadium for the Broncos. Both Greg Penner and Damani Leach answered questions about it at the owners' meeting. We'll play the audio and react. And we'll uh, preview that coming up here in a few minutes. But I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the buzz in Broncos country right now. And that is this new stadium ever since the survey came out last Thursday to season ticket holders. And Greg Penner and Damani Leach asked about it down in Arizona at owners meetings. Uh, First of all, James, you and I, we discussed this a little bit last night, but we're on different sides of the coin here. I think there's overwhelming momentum toward a new stadium, your more 50-50 coin flip, right? Yeah, I think they're giving themselves the ability to go either direction. They can blame it on the survey if they decide not to do it. Interesting. By okay, way, real quick, Will, just to give you a side note, because mm-hmm. I spend our commercial breaks just doing copious amounts of research. All right, I'll let you get it in. You want to know the average margin of victory in Monday night games versus Thursday night games last year? Average margin of victory. Uh, I would be more interested in average points scored, but sure, I'll take average margin well, of victory. I can do that in the next break. Okay. Uh, the average uh, Thursday night game, it was the, the difference was 8.8. The average Monday night game was 10.7. In margin of victory? Yeah. Wow, I hope people were taking teams to cover. Those seems like, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it feels like every NFL game's a field goal. Those are both big numbers to I me. I know, both, in both of them, they were not a you know, one score game right. in, in either instance on average. And then, you know, there's a couple of them where there's, you know, a couple of Monday night games were one point games. So there were a bunch of blowouts. But anyhow, back to the stadium thing. So would that be the mean, median, or mode? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, uh, mean, right? Yeah, I think, it's the mean. I think the mean. I think, I think the, the mode for uh, Monday night was one. That was the one that appeared the most. Is that right? The team scored one point the most. No, the, the average, the, the margin of victory was one. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was. Yeah. The, that was well, nope. There's two sevens. We had a couple of mode. I don't. We ah. we figured this out once. I don't want to do it again. We did. We did. All right. All right. Here's Greg Penner uh, on touring stadiums around the league as the Broncos do their research to try to figure out what they like, what they don't like when it comes to potentially building a new one. Yeah, it was it was an interesting process for us this fall. We had a chance to visit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously the games that we played on the road, but then uh, had sort of intentional visits where we spent more time at probably five or six stadiums. Um, we didn't come away from any of those saying this is this would be a you know if we decide to go down the path of a new stadium, Denver, saying this would be the perfect stadium for us. Uh, I think it's really unique to the market. Um, you know, we'd want something that's inherently Colorado, the Broncos. Um, but we saw a lot of um, interesting aspects from different types of roof covers, different types of uh, fields, um, different mix of seats. Uh, so it was a really, really interesting process for us. All right. So no specific. They didn't see SoFi, for example, and say, yep, that's the winner. That's how we're doing it here in Denver. But also, I like this, James, from a fan perspective of it, they're doing their research and due diligence to take a little of SoFi, a little of you know Jerry's World, a little of Allegiant Stadium, whatever, and blend it into the perfect mix of all the good things about those into one premier, hopefully the best stadium in the NFL, because if it's the newest, it should be the best stadium in the NFL until at least the next one gets built. Yeah, and no, and it, that was one of my points in my column on, denversports.com on Monday of why the fans shouldn't have any say in it. And I'm not knocking the fans. They shouldn't have seen all those places. Like that's not their job. They don't, you know, they, they can't just travel from city to city and go to every Broncos game, but the owners and the people in the front office have, they've seen all those facilities. They've seen other facilities. They've seen things they've built for the Olympics, things that have been built for the world cup. Like they have the ability and the wherewithal to go see all that and, and kind of pick the best of each uh, each of those locations. So that's exactly why they should be making the decision as opposed to somebody who, you know, and I'll put myself in this boat. I, I Okay. I sit in section 326 every game. Like what, what is my perspective? I just assume not move. I just assume not get uprooted again. Like I didn't like it when I got moved out a mile high and I sat by the same people and had the same guy sitting behind me for 20 years and all of a sudden, I'm sitting around new people. Like, that was a bummer. So, of course, I'm going to say, no, I don't think we need a new stadium. But somebody else who's going around and seeing all these things and can see, that's how you create a, a vision of what you need in Denver is by getting bits and pieces from other places. So, one, I'm glad I, to hear that that's what they were doing. That's how they should be using that time. But, two, it just sort of makes my point of, like, yeah, that's why they're better suited to make this decision than the people who sit there eight to ten times a year for Broncos games. They don't want change. They don't, and I understand why they don't, but that's why they shouldn't have a vote. All right, here's a little bit of President Damani Leach talking about the same thing. Yeah, I mean, of the NFL stadiums, I'll just go through the list. We toured Seattle. We toured SoFi. We toured Las Vegas. We toured Minnesota, Dallas, and Miami. 
also toured Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, which is a beautiful arena, uh, my old hometown, so I'm biased, um, but also toured both stadiums in London with uh, Tottenham uh, in Wembley. Um, so I would say there's no one stadium that we walked away and said, okay, that's the one, you know, that we want. I think there's bits and pieces of different stadiums that are interesting and intriguing. I think one of the things you realize from a stadium standpoint, there are trade-offs that have to be made trying to fit it in with the site, with the city, the culture. All of those things are factors. All right, so you hear him there talk about all the different factors in the stadium. And, James, we actually did get the list from Damani Leach, right? Like yeah. Miami, Dallas. Last time I checked, the Broncos didn't play road games there this year since the Walton Penner family ownership group owned these. So that, again, sort of gets my point of I think there's more momentum than not because they got on the private plane as an organization, flew to Dallas, flew to Miami, took tours, took notes, and I think it sort of – lends credence to my point that this thing is more likely to happen than not. Yeah, and hopefully so. I, I hope you're right. Maybe I'm just being, you know, cautious and trying to set myself up to where I'm not disappointed. You know, they, they also played in Tennessee. There's not a lot about Nissan Stadium that's cool, other than the fact that it's right across the Cumberland River from, like, you know, Broadway and Nashville, and you can walk across a, across a pedestrian bridge. I don't know how you recreate that in Denver, but in terms of being a part of the community and you know, some of those kind of things that he, were talking, that he was talking about, that's pretty distinctly Nashville. So, you know, can you try and look at ways that, hey, how do we do things like that that are kind of cool and unique to Denver? They played in Carolina. I've never been there. Mace would be the guy to tell us about uh, what they have going on in Charlotte. It seems like kind of a cookie-cutter type of a place. But, um, but yeah, I think Dallas, So you'd want to go see Dallas, SoFi, Allegiant, I would throw Atlanta in there. What they built on there for the Falcons, the, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is phenomenal, especially with that scoreboard. Uh, I was in London. Wembley is a dump. You know what Wembley is? Wembley's a 100,000-seat in Powerfield. There's nothing. I felt like, you know what, I felt like it was a Bush Stadium, a really big version of Bush Stadium. Wow, that's interesting because there's always been this sort of aura around Wembley yeah. is this big deal. You actually got to go see it with your own two eyes and just said, hey, nothing special? Nothing at all. Not not anything unique about it. Like it's just it it, it it really was very much like a cross between Empower and those old circular riverfront three rivers those stadiums they built in the in the seventies. Yeah. Um. You know the the interior there was nothing great about it. One like there was a great scoreboard experience. The concourses were blah. It was just sort of in a you know kind of an industrial type of an area. You parked your bus and you like there was just nothing about it. Like you could have been in. Anywhere it, it it wasn't great. Contrast that to I went to a soccer game, and I went and saw Fulham play. And it's often this neighborhood. It's this old, you know, part of the part of the building has been there since the 1890s. And they built all this new stuff, uh, new areas around it, and you know it's along the it's along the Thames there. So you stand out there and have a couple of pops before the game and watch the river, you know, watch the river and the boats go by. Like that was cool. So yeah, the Wembley they could have skipped that one. Here's Damani on some of the specifics of the stadium. Some of the things you just kind of look for, I mean, other than the obvious when you're touring these stadiums. I think a lot of stadiums now, what you're seeing, I think generally seeing uh, wider concourses, more restrooms, so really, really trying to make it as hospitable as possible for fans. You know, we talk about trying to get fans off couches into your stadiums. Uh, a lot of those things, technology, technology. Uh, Back of house, you see a lot more space back of house. You know, stadiums are homes to concerts, uh, multiple teams, trying to make them as comfortable as possible. Those things are really interesting. All right. I mean, listen, man, no one, no one's going to complain about wider concourses and more bathrooms, both an issue at Empower right now. Wider concourse is absolutely an issue at Ball Arena if you're there on a packed night. 
Oh, no doubt. But you know what I have at my house? What? A wide hallway and a bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, but at least he was honest there. He's like, I'm telling you this because we're trying to figure out how to make sure people get off their couches and drive to our stadium. I get it. I get it. And those are things you have to do. Those are nuts and bolts things that they certainly have to do. And if I don't know if you've ever been to an old stadium like Wrigley or uh, Fenway. I had a – was that old Yankee Stadium a year or two before they tore it down? Like, it's amazing how small those, like, aisles and concourses and stuff were. You know, people were just smaller back then, and they just didn't – you know, build it as uh, as spacious. So yeah, you you have to keep you know changing with that. Here's what would get my attention, Will: a window I can go up and put a little action. <laughs> now, little... wouldn't that be thinking forward? Yeah, and the NFL owners did vote that sports books are allowed in stadiums. So that was a there we a, go a wrinkle from the owners meeting. You can bet, uh, no pun intended. You can assume that a new stadium for the Broncos would have one of those. Oh, it should, and it should have it to where it's it's super easy and super simple. Um, but that would be, okay, how do you take it into the next era as opposed to what you don't want to do is design something that is really nice today. No, and design that's something that's trick. cool in 2040. Right, yeah. and that's the trick, right? Like, none of us have a crystal ball, but, you know, it, Jerry Jones certainly didn't design so it was cool when he built it but it was also something like oh my gosh this looks like it's from the future right nobody ever walked into empower field ever and said this looks like it's from the future they just said this is really nice and it was when it first opened and when you compared it to mile high and for suites and media and behind the scenes and locker rooms and stuff like that it was light years better than mile high but for 70,000 of your 75,000 fans Really isn't that much different. All right, on the other side, it's the biggest game of the year for the Avs. Well, at least thus far, we'll preview it coming up next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. It is the biggest avalanche game of the year thus far. And we're about, oh, an hour and a half because it's a TNT game. They'll push it back as far as they can. Away from puck drop at Ball Arena. Going to be a late night. But it's Avs and Wild, and it's for first place in the Central Division. James, it feels like the Avs have been climbing out of this hole they dug themselves with injuries and poor play since late December, early January. We all remember the team meeting back in January after a loss to the, to the Blackhawks. Two and a half months, really, for this moment. And this moment is here tonight. It's not a Game 7. No one's going to be that dramatic. But it would be a symbolic thing for them to come all the way back and get to the top of the Central Division when, frankly, we were saying, let's hope they make the playoffs. And now not only could they make the playoffs, they could have home ice in the first two rounds. Yeah, I think even those of us who said, listen, don't worry, this seems going to be fine. I think we were all talking about it of, hey, even if they're a seven or an eight seed, it ain't going to matter, right? They're the best team in the West. Hockey, historically, uh, seeding matters less in that sport in the playoffs than certainly in the NBA, right? You've seen eight Absolutely. seeds win the title. Yep. Like it, it happens not all the time, but it, it does happen. And it doesn't always happen just because there was a team like the Avs, who's the best team in the conference, that had a bunch of injuries and had to kind of get in at the last moment. So I thought they were going to be fine anyway. I had no concept that they could claw, claw their way all the, back in, all the way back into it. And with, what, nine games to go for the Avs, eight for the Wild, have a chance to take first place, uh, take over first place in the central. They still have a game in hand, right? So they're actually in 
the driver's seat and, here, and, Craig, and they almost take control. If they get two points and the Wild get zero tonight, they almost take control of the division. Quick story on why they have that game in hand. Do you remember around Christmas time when they flew to Nashville for no reason at all and flew home? Do you remember that? No. So they flew to Nashville, James. One game road trip, right? The pipes at Bridgestone Arena explode, and the Avalanche and Predators are looking at videos of the the bottom floor of the rink underwater, and it's like, yep, yeah, we're not playing any hockey there anytime soon. The Predators had to cancel, I believe, not one but two games to get the stadium cleaned up, and that game, the way the schedules worked, got moved to game 82 for both the Avs and Predators. So they flew to Nashville for no reason at all, and that's why they still have this game in hand. If they need, I mean, they'll play it regardless, but if they need it, they'll have to go win a game in Nashville on uh, April 14th, a game that was supposed to be played around Christmas, but the pipes did not cooperate. Interesting. Boy, that's a good memory. I remember it now that you tell the whole story. Um, but, boy, that is kind of one of those just obscure things that when it happens, you know, we probably give it, two minutes worth of our attention and then kind of move on. And now that game may may turn out to be something where it's like, hey, if the Avs can go on the road and get a couple points here in a game that who knows what it means for Nashville, um, could end up being a, a, a game that gets them the division. But, yeah, I think they take control tonight with a, with a regulation win. I really do. The Wild have only lost once in regulation in the last 20 games. And that was, wow. to, that was to the Boston Bruins, who are obviously the big favorites to be Stanley Cup champion. Jared Bednar today, another interesting nugget, James. He said, I don't know if Bednar took honest pills or what, but he's been so honest of late. He said, yeah, we want to win tonight because we don't want to play Minnesota in the first round. It was like, okay, like I appreciate the honesty, coach, but also he sees what we see. The Avs may be really hot, 9-1-0 in their last 10. But again, Minnesota last 20 games, I believe is 14-5-1. and and, uh, and, or excuse me, 14 1 and 5. I got that backwards. Five overtime or shootout losses, but only one out of 20 have they fallen in regulation. So if your prediction comes true tonight, that'll be the first time in uh, a long time that the Wild have fall, fallen in 60 minutes. Yeah, and I think, you know, there, there are different things to look at. Look, their, their record, 14 1 and 5, that's, that's hard to say much negative about it, and I, I won't. But it, the, the Wild remind me a little bit of the Vikings. If you start oh, looking at the scoring same, differential. Same city, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, how much of a mirage is this, right? Like the Avs are a, a 40, plus 44 scoring differential. The Stars are 50. So even though they're behind them or tied with the Avs in the standings, like that's that's a juggernaut. The Avs are second best in, in the West, tied with the Oilers, which is a high-powered team. We saw that last year at 44. And the Wild are 25, kind of middle of the pack, right? They're more like... Uh, you know, a team that I guess middle of the pack's maybe a little unfair, but a team that maybe should be a you know fourth or fifth best team in the conference, not at the top of it. So I would be more nervous against one of those teams that could keep pace with you, uh, and that would be Edmonton, who I know they swept a year ago, and Dallas because hey, when when teams can score, that's a that's that's the kind of the opponent that would make me a little bit nervous. I think the Wild are the kind of team, when the Avs go out and play their game, I don't think they have any chance of keeping up with them. I sold them one game short. They're actually 15-1-4 over their last 20. But I see your point. 
I think Bezzy's point is, listen, man, they're hot. And, James, let's not forget who their goalie would be, Marc-Andre Fleury. The Avs have playoff history with him. Yep. Let's yep. put it this way. How about you just get the one seed, and guess who you may get a play? Seattle Kraken and our old friend, if you can call him that, <laughs> Philip Grubauer, who choked away the Vegas series. Would love to go against that guy in a playoff series. Give me the Avs in eh, probably five, but I wouldn't be shocked well, if they swept the Kraken. Then you can go watch him on the road in Climate Pledge Arena, which is what Damani Leach was just talking about. You can see it from the top of the Space Needle. It is a pretty cool arena. So if they play the Kraken, well, we may have to see if we could do this show on the road. Isn't that where the CU women just played basketball, too? Uh, maybe. I would guess so, yeah. I'm like almost positive because I saw, yeah, KJ saying yes. I saw the, yeah, cool spot. the Kraken banners. They uh, they played Iowa up there in the Sweet 16. So, All right. Well, yeah. we, may have to, we may have to make that trip. All right, man. Well, we'll be watching the abs tonight. We'll uh, break it down tomorrow night, preview the Nuggets, and bring you anything that goes on with the Broncos. For KJ, for James, I'm Will. Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Make it go faster down through the woods and out to the pasture long as I'm with you.